Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Riot Show. I'm your host, JP Terrio, and on today's episode, we're going to be digging into more of a medical topic. Um, this is something I've been wanting to really dip into this entire semester, and it's something that a research project of mine has currently led up to. And uh, the topic for today is going to be gene therapy. And so what we're really going to be looking at here with gene therapy is uh, several different topics. Uh, really, first, we have to define what gene therapy is, and that is a, a form of treatment for various types of diseases, quite, quite a lot, actually, that involves changing the genetic code of certain cells in the body. And so, by extent, there's another term that I need to let you guys know about, and that's gene editing, and that is it can be done a lot of different ways, but it is an instrumental part of this process. And it involves maybe changing the acid composition or changing some other drastic aspect of your DNA sequence to affect the change that's desired to make that cell do what you want it to do. It's basically manipulating the acids that build the code that makes you pretty much, uh, that makes what your cells do. So, um, we're going to kind of move section by section, but what I really want to touch on is, uh, several key topics in the actual field right now. And that is, uh, the, the diseases that can be treated by gene therapy and gene editing, and also some of the challenges that are being faced with the implementation of gene therapy and also looking at the failure of pharmaceutical drugs and uh, also uh, kind of branching off from that challenge category looking at the novelty and uh, looking at where this is going to go and uh, basically making predictions about the future from from my perspective but also i'm going to give you guys the the total rundown on the sources i'm pulling from so that way you have a better understanding of why I've come to the conclusions that I have. So uh, moving on to our first source, let's, let's get right into it. Um, this is really about the role of the immune system. And this is a relatively new article. I think it was published within the last month. And it's about the role of the immune system in Alzheimer's. And this is something that a lot of people suffer from. It's a growing demographic in the U.S. population. It's, it's a very pertinent issue. Um, but really, uh, up to this point, both researchers and uh, medical professionals have been trying to treat it um, with, with drugs that are pharmaceutically engineered to um, basically turn off some of the acid production that's accelerating the aging of the brain. However, this is arguably the worst way to go about this because what you're doing is basically shutting down the brain's ability to reproduce and obviously you're you're helping cure alzheimer's but you're worsening your cognitive function because your brain is no is not continuing to replace the uh, cells that it's replicating and it also can actually lead to the development of, of skin cancer um, because the brain is not changing rapidly enough to keep up with the signals it needs to send in order to tell your your skin and your melanin to to replace itself and it, it doesn't know what to do leading to uncontrolled replication and thus cancer uh, which is 
obviously not an optimal outcome for any patient that's trying to get rid of Alzheimer's just to turn around and have melanoma or some kind of skin cancer on their hands. That's definitely not a, a treatment method at all if, if you want to even go that far. But also, I think uh, with this source, it does a good job of highlighting how pharmaceutical drugs can't be used to treat Alzheimer's because at the end of the day, drugs can't enter the brain. They can enter the bloodstream, which can then be pumped to the brain, but drugs cannot directly go to the brain. So this effectively blunts a, a good percentage of the efficacy of these drugs. And that's, <laughs> those aren't good numbers. Um, however, moving on from kind of the negatives, uh, this source kind of contrasts that by moving further into how the immune system in the brain can actually be turned into attack mode. Um, and it can basically form these complexes that are designed and built out of immune cells. And think of it like um, a missile with an infrared targeting head. And basically what your brain will do is construct this missile per se. And the body, the explosive of that missile is immune cells. That's the actual, what's going to be used to, to kill the degenerative tissue. And then the seeker head of that missile is these special microglia, which is an immune cell in the brain, which can actually be told by modifying certain genes to attack degenerative tissue, which is amazing because basically what that tells researchers is that this microglia is inactive while that tissue is developing, but if it's turned on, it can be told to attack that tissue. So it's basically like a guard letting somebody slip through the, like uh, letting an intruder slip through the gate, basically. I think that's the best analogy. Um, and what immune, immune therapy would do for that uh, through gene modification is tell the guard or tell the missile where, what to look for and, and who to go after which is huge because it's basically going to take this tissue that we were originally trying to um, either kill or stop the growth of with drugs. But instead of that using cells that are in the body already that are designed to fight it and just telling it what to fight and, and kind of uh, identifying its blind spot, which it, it's a new perspective in medicine. And it's something that we're, going to have to work with in terms of looking at the research. Um, but moving on, so now that we've kind of looked at how the immune system can be modified, we then need to look at how gene therapy is going to move from this idealistic kind of cure-all to a reality and, and how we're going to take a treatment that is so vast and complex and make it into something as practical as going to CVS and picking up uh, your medication, which it will never be that simple, but making it something accessible. Um, so right now, uh, rather small patient groups uh, have been treated. Uh, and so a future challenge is going to be scaling up the treatment. Like I said, with the CVS thing, it's not going to be to the scale of, of drugs being everywhere, but it will definitely be a challenge to scale up um, gene therapy to reach the amount of people that it needs to reach to, to make a difference. Um, and kind of going into 
what it needs to be scaled up to treat. Uh, going back to that main theme of diseases that can be treatable, we're looking at immunodeficiencies. So we're looking at um, parts of your immune system that no longer function, um, HIV, things like that. Um, and also hemophilias, uh, diseases of the blood. Uh, and also we're looking at, with gene therapy, a case of genetically modified cells um, and when we look at these genetically modified cells, it it really depends on, like we talked about with the first source, how they're targeted and what they're told to look for. Um, one example of that is um, T lymphocytes, um, which are key for fighting tumors, uh, especially in cases of leukemia. And this source mentions a study by the NIH um, to lend it some credit. And it basically adds chimeric antigen receptors, which is a bunch of medical jargon for those seeker heads that we're talking about, those receptors that can be told where to go. And it gives it to those lymphocytes, which are able to fight those tumors. And it, it basically gives those antigen receptors um, a target. And that target is the tumor. And, um, basically it's going to add a receptor to the lymphocyte which then will go and attack those tumors in leukemia which is a very uh aggressive type of cancer um and it's something that a, a treatment like that is desperately needed for because at this rate pharmaceutical drugs are are not they're not working at the pace that they need to be in order to fight this um but also looking at uh looking at the next source uh, we have another disease called uh, parkinson's which is a neurodegenerative disease um and it's it's kind of along the same lines as some of these cancers we're looking at where it's, it's pretty aggressive and the symptoms are very drastic um but just to to preface with what the article is actually saying it it states Gene therapy is a rapidly evolving technology that has predominantly utilized viral vectors to effectively deliver genetic material inside of the neurons to modulate the expression of one or more particular genes. Several gene therapy clinical trials have been conducted in Parkinson's disease, PD for short, uh, by exploring strategies to either restore dopamine synthesis, enhance the production of trophic factors, enhance lysosomal function, or modify the interaction between different functional nodes of the basal ganglia. Uh, and this is from the NIH. Uh, so looking at what I just said, uh, it, it's interesting that we're in the clinical trial stage and looking at their goals where they want to do dopamine synthesis. They want to look at uh, enhancing lysosomal function. Um, and once again, these are pretty uh, complicated terms. Uh, dopamine synthesis would be the creation of dopamine in the brain, which is something that is severely inhibited uh, during Parkinson's and can really hurt motor, motor function within the brain, and also lysosomal function. Um, lysosomes are basically cells within the body that are waste management cells, and they basically help clean, I guess, by absorbing the waste in the cells. Um, and so enhancing their function is key to kind of cleaning the brain up in a sense uh, and helping with its function. 
So moving on, we have another statement from the NIH, which is, while safety has been demonstrated, clinical trials on gene therapy for Parkinson's disease highlight the need for higher than anticipated volumes of infusion in order to optimize dose and vector coverage. Neurosurgical delivery techniques for gene therapy have rapidly evolved from the use of multiple transfrontal trajectories to a single parieto-occipital shape-conforming infusion. The employment of of convection-enhanced delivery with reflux-resistant cannulas has further improved the vector diffusion into the target structure. Future technological developments will reduce the invasiveness and duration of surgery, improve specificity and transduction capacity with novel capsid designs, and implement strategies to control transgene expression. That was a lot. Let's break that apart and kind of look at what they're actually saying without all the jargon. So uh, they're talking about, firstly, uh, optimize the dose. They want to look at how much they're going to have to actually infuse in terms of uh, modified genes. And also they're looking at the vectors uh, that they're going to use and the coverage of those vectors in terms of affecting the, the neurological system. Um, and also when they move on to talk about neurosurgical delivery techniques, they're talking about how they're going to actually get it into the brain. So we talk about those vectors, how they're going to get the vector into the brain to begin with, kind of the, the human vector for the um, gene therapy vector. And um, they're talking about how next uh, convection enhanced delivery and the reflux resistant cannulas, um, that's more of actually the process in the brain, which is going to improve the diffusion of the the modified genes once they're inserted um, and the target structures. So what these genes are actually going to, because obviously you don't just want genetic material floating around in the brain. That's actually pretty um, detrimental to a lot of other processes. So you want to have a target structure. You want to have somewhere they can absorb and actually utilize these modified genes you've just introduced. Um, So right now talking about that neurosurgical technique uh moving on to the final sentence you really want um less invasiveness and a shorter duration of surgery just out of safety for the patient um and also you want to improve the specificity uh the designs and implement strategies to control the expression um I instantly pick up on that last phrase, uh, implement strategies to control transgene expression, because most of this stuff is about safety. But that last that last sentence right there, that's about how the genes are actually going to uh, be expressed across non-modified genes. So this goes back to some arguments that people have about how gene therapy is actually going to be expressed and, and how it interacts with cells that are already in the body and how are there going to be two types of cells that replicate and and one does what you want them to do and the other does what you don't want them to do and that's something that they're actively looking at right now and seeing like how cells in the body are receiving those modified cells and then um moving forward we have our fourth source and that is in vivo gene therapy um 
another NIH article. Um, so this one says, for more than 30 years, hundreds of researchers have maintained that genetic modifications would provide effective treatments for many inherited human diseases, which offers a durable and possibly curative clinical benefit with a single treatment. This review is limited to gene therapy using adeno-associated virus, AAV. So that means this is a viral vector gene therapy because the gene delivered by this vector does not integrate into the patient genome and has a low immunogenicity. Now that refers to its ability to replicate, like we just talked about uh, within the new body and just kind of do these genes stick around or do they go away? Uh, there are now five treatments approved for commercialization and currently available, i.e. Luxturna, Zolgensma, the two chimeric antigen receptor T cells that we actually talked about in the first source for uh, T lysosomes or uh, T my word, lymphocytes. I'm sorry, I just talked about lysosomes. It's on the brain. Speaking of brains, um, uh, we've got Strimvelis, uh, which is a gamma retrovirus, which is a, a hot topic when it comes to gene therapy because of some of the failures of adenoviruses and retroviruses and the testing that they did beforehand because these viruses are known for um, kind of provoking immune reactions in patients that aren't adjusted to having foreign retroviruses uh, in the body. And so this makes it really difficult for them to use that as a viral vector for those patients and has led to um, some pretty drastic failure in the testing groups. Uh, Basically, I'm saying they died. Um, the, the, the patients being tested died, um, which it, it's sombering. Um, and, but it's also a way to kind of focus moving forward. It gives a clarity to why this is being done uh, and, and what the whole point of this is. And uh, so this is something that's actually being done in Europe because in the U.S., the use of retroviruses for adenosine uh, immunodeficiencies, basically, um, that has basically been outlawed um, under the FDA, uh, their, their policies in the wake of the failures that I just described in the 90s, they basically have uh, restricted uh, the use of these retroviruses in America. So a lot of these type commercial treatments you'll see in Europe uh, particularly Germany. Um, a lot of German researchers are really going after this hard. Um, but anyway, moving on. Uh, dozens of other treatments are under clinical trials. The review article presents a broad overview. Um, we review gene therapy for neuromuscular disorders, i.e. spinal muscular atrophy, SMA, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, X-linked myotubular myopathy, and diseases of the central nervous system, including Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, Canavan disease, and uh, several other deficiencies. I won't uh, go too far into depth into some of these. Ocular disorders, um, aka macular degeneration, uh, choroideremia, choroideremia, that's a big word, <laughs> achromatopsia, um, some retinous pigmentosa, um, really bad eye, dis eye disorders that are uh, determined by the breakdown of genes that affect your ocular nerves. Um, 
and also lysosomal storage disorders. So we see that with cataracts um, and other diseases of the eye. Um, now, I want to also, uh, when we look at this one, I want to talk about a graph that's included. Um, so I'm going to pull that up real fast because I really felt when I was initially reading this source, I think the graph is, is very key for uh, understanding what's going on. So uh, I'll just kind of describe it to you because I know y'all can't see it. Um, so it's really looking into the parts of the body being affected. Um, and we see a lot of areas that are very, uh, very harmful for an individual to, to have any kind of negative reaction, like the eyes, the brain, the spine, the muscles, things that if something goes wrong there, you're, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, to, to make uh, light of it, uh, you're in trouble. Um, and so we look, it's kind of identifying these different areas and the diseases which affect these areas and talking about how these therapies I just listed off, how each one affects that area, which is awesome because it helps you to really visualize without just looking at uh, a page full of words, like what it's actually doing in the body, which is, uh, which is really cool. It's really cool to see where it's anticipated to actually help. Um, okay. Yeah, so we just have kind of some patient efficacy graphs. We've got three patients. Um, the initial appears to have a different kind of... Oh, I think they're... Okay, so their age is different. That's It's got different symbols, which represents their age. Um, and so what we see is... Um, those with an older age are typically having a longer recovery time, but I think we have to look beyond the numbers and that's basically saying they're still recovering, but it's taking, we're talking about that volume. Uh, again, we're talking about the volume of what it's going to take to actually help a person out and their volumes are much higher. It's over a longer period of time. Uh, looking at these treatments. Um, very interesting though, very interesting to see how this all really fleshes out, uh, outside of just the theoretical and the, you know, the medical jargon, I guess, of a research paper. It's interesting to see what it's actually doing in the patient studies. Uh, okay. So moving on to our fifth and final source I really want to look at here. We're looking at another disease treatable, gene therapy for cystic fibrosis. And this is tying two of our big themes together. This is uh, both a disease that's treatable and the challenges of editing a genome. Um, so moving into this article, uh, it starts by saying, since the early days of its conceptualization and application, human gene transfer held the promise of a permanent solution to genetic diseases, including cystic fibrosis, CF for short. This field went through alternated periods of enthusiasm and distrust. The development of refined technologies allowing site-specific modification with programmable nucleases highly revived the gene therapy field. CRISPR nucleases and derived technologies tremendously facilitate genome manipulation, offering diversified strategies to reverse mutations. Here, we discuss the advancement of gene therapy from therapeutic nucleic acids, talking about those uh, acids in the brain that we're editing, to 
entire genome editing techniques designed to reverse genetic defects in cystic fibrosis. In this article, we provide a roadmap through technologies and strategies tailored to correct different types of mutations in the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator. So this is something that's going to keep um, the mutated uh, cells and, and genes um, that are causing the cystic fibrosis. They're going to talk about how that gene in particular to kind of clear up what I said. There's a so there's a transmembrane regulator gene. So I need to first tell you what a membrane is before I continue on with that statement. So this membrane is what's controlling what's moving in and out of the cell. And cystic fibrosis is a disease which affects cells and effectively uh, shuts them down. Um, we'll look up the definition right here. So it's a disorder that damages your lungs, digestive tract, and other organs. And it's actually an inherited disease. So this is not something you catch. Um, and right now, one of the treatments is to remove the lungs and uh, transplant uh, normal functioning lungs uh, into the body. But this is a very low life expectancy disease. So having something that can correct the mutations in those transmembrane regulators uh, in your lungs or elsewhere in your body that can keep those mutated cells uh, or those mutations from entering the cells um, or I'm sorry, the, the mutated cells from entering the organ. There we go. Uh, that is very key. And so the application for the development of those experimental models are very valuable for the advancement of cystic fibrosis therapies. Okay. So I, I kind of just spent a long time correcting what this, what this article is saying. Some of the, the wording is a little, little weird, but in essence, they're trying to correct the regulating uh, membrane, which acts as a wall, but it's got a gate, if that makes sense. It's a big wall that keeps things out, but it's got a gate that is regulated by, by genes instead of people, and it lets things through. And it's basically saying... Um, it's going to be able to use CRISPR to uh, use the nuclease. It's going to have CRISPR engineer a nuclease in order to change that regulator to keep out those mutations that are coming in and causing that cystic fibrosis and uh, drastically endangering that individual's life. Um, and this was another one I really wanted to look at the graph. I, I apologize for the confusing wording, but... Um, yeah, there's a figure here, and um, it, it's it's a lot in terms of uh, when you're looking at um, the phospholipid bilayer. It's the layer between the cells, and looking at the alleles uh, on the genetic code, um, we see, to basically describe it to the listener, it's a line, a big, long, think of like a timeline, kind of, but, and so there's these lines at the end, these... Um, one big horizontal line with two vertical lines at the end. Well, when we look at gene expression, we look at these other smaller vertical lines along that horizontal. And um, in, the, in the graph or image here, we're looking at a cystic fibrosis uh, genetic strand that shows all the alleles who have basically either broken off from another because these alleles come in pairs. And so when these pairs break apart, 
bad things happen <laughs> uh, first and foremost. But basically, it's it's these alleles that have broken apart and have basically, in essence, defected from their partner allele and have actually paired up with a mutated allele that they wouldn't normally fit with. But these mutated alleles have basically paired up with them. Um, and so when, when we look further down the graph, it has a strand called the RNA treatment strand. And that's basically a strand that is going to... Uh, a shut down the transfer of those mutated alleles but also pair those defective alleles back together with their other respective allele in the chromosome um, which is going to serve to in essence stop the cystic fibrosis because at the at the heart of cystic fibrosis is these mutations so um i hope that i hope that helps clear things up that's a, that's a lot of a lot of information there, but I think it is helpful to kind of lay it all out and talk about it. Um, so yeah, just kind of to wrap things up, I think gene therapy is definitely going to be the future. And um, I hope that some of these methods that I talked about today really uh, resonate with you and kind of are able to show you this is a challenging field. This is something that is new. And it's going to require a lot of work but it is something that is treatable and it's something that is doable, more importantly. Um, it's able to be crafted into a treatment. Um, and yeah, I, I hope this gives you something to walk away with. And um, yeah, I have, I've enjoyed getting to share all this uh, information with you. I hope this doesn't overwhelm you as the listener. And uh, also glad to be back, glad to be back on the show. I hope you're all having a great day, night, or whatever time of, of the day it might be. I just hope you have a good one.